listeners, you're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies, a playwriting podcast. Every week, we discuss plays we love, interview theater artists, and share our thoughts on playwriting and theater. We are your hosts, Sam Collier and Sarah Cho. Uh, and today's episode is our one of our Player of the Month series. Uh, and this month, we read uh, play uh, 36 Views by Naomi Yuzaka. So this play is a play in 36 scenes, just like in title, 36 views, just caught me uh, <laughs> after reading a second time. Um, but it's a play about um, an exploration of the meaning of truth, not just in the art world, but in personal relationships as well. Uh, at its heart is an art dealer and an art history, historian who discover what they think is an ancient manuscript, a priceless Japanese pillow book, and they try to learn whether it's authentic. Their search becomes an erotic game of greed, love, and mental hide-and-seek. Oh. Um, <laughs> so we'll talk about uh, a little bit of background of Naomi Yuzaka in just a little bit, but uh, first impressions, Sam. Your thoughts? Well, um, okay. So I really liked the um, that this whole story was kind of based on a lie. That um, it started off with this artist and this dealer's assistant who kind of he started off by accidentally lying, or so he said. Um, I guess that's debatable. And. And then you're just kind of waiting for the lie to come out. And just as a dramatic structure, I find that kind of story really satisfying. Mm -hmm. Um, I also feel like this play is so of its time, which, I mean, I think it premiered in 2002, but it feels very like 90s to me, which I know I've said before about other plays, but um, this kind of obsession with authenticity in the art world I, I just, I have this feeling that I've read a, a number of plays from the 90s that were about that question. Mm. And I'm wondering whether something changed with the rise of the internet where like the questions about art changed. Mm. Um, because the, the questions in this play about like what's real and what's authentic and um, kind of artifacts and paintings... I don't know. It just seems like people are not having those same conversations today. Um, maybe mm. I'm just not in those rooms. But anyway, but I really enjoyed the play. What about you? What was your impression? Um, I think my initial impression was about how this play seems to be talking so much about perception, like what we think mm -hmm. perceive to be real or not real. Um, and I think there's a scene in there where it really kind of magnified for me was um, the the main character or one of the main characters is uh, uh, Setsuko. And she's like just talking about, you know, she's actually, I think, Chinese, but her dad is, you know, American who's a missionary uh, adopted by a Japanese mother. And the other character is like Darius, it was like, oh, I thought you're Japanese this whole time or something, you know? Like, there's something like that. Mm -hmm. And there was this scene where I'm like, where it made me really think about the whole play as a whole, like, what we're seeing. Because so much of it, also there was all these elements of design and sound, what you're hearing and seeing, um, like that kind of announces to us, like, oh, what you're seeing 
is kind of always constantly shifting or may not be what you thought it was. And um, yeah, so it was just kind of playing this game of that, that I kind of really enjoyed um, and kind of took always took me by surprise whenever it happened. Yeah, definitely. Because there's so much about first impressions in this play and like the way people treat each other Mm -hmm. when they first meet based on their impressions, you know, about of what the person knows or who they are, what their status is, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, I agree. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, So who is Naomi Izuka? Who is she? she? (laughs) Uh, Well, she's a playwright. Um, And actually, I had known this but forgotten this, but she went to the same high school that I went to. So that's kind of cool. (laughs) That's cool. She she grew up all over, but one of the places she lived when she was growing up was Washington, D.C. Yeah, that's one of the things I went and was reading her background. It was like so much overlap between uh, like – Iowa, easy Santa Barbara, um, <laughs> California, like Iowa, like there's all this like overlap. I was like, man, theater is kind of small <laughs> world where oh, we're all world. kind of known. Yeah. Um, but so just a little background. So she's a playwright. Uh, her works are often um, like this nonlinear storyline and it's influenced by her multicultural background. Mother is an American Latina attorney and her father is a Japanese banker. Uh, born in Tokyo, Izuka grew up in Japan, Indonesia, the Netherlands, and Washington, D.C. Uh, she lives in Iowa and currently resides in uh, California. I don't know if it's not L.A., but California for sure. <laughs> um, and one thing I thought was really mm-hmm. interesting is that she studied classical literature um, for mm. an undergraduate degree. Um, and I I was reading that she kind of explores this fusion of classical and contemporary yeah, a lot of her work. Yeah, um, yeah. So she got her BA in classical literature from Yale University, and then it was just interesting. She spent one year at Yale Law School before yeah. eventually receiving her MFA in playwriting from UC San Diego in 1992, um, and has taught playwriting at Iowa and UT Austin, and was a professor of dramatic arts and director of, which I think is currently oh was uh, at. Sorry, was a professor professor in dramatic arts and director of playwriting program at UC Santa Barbara, where that's where I went to my undergrad until January 2008, when she took over as a head of playwriting, MFA playwriting at her alma mater, UC San Diego. Mm-hmm. So, um, cool. yeah, so it's a little background there. Um, She's written a lot of plays. She's written um, a lot. Mm-hmm. I think the only other one I've I'm familiar with is Good Kids, which was produced at Iowa you when were. we were uh-huh. there. Yeah. Have you read any of her other work? Mm-mm. Except yeah, the only, I think the only read was Thirty Six Views. And you said you read this in undergrad, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I read it in undergrad, and <laughs> like I mentioned earlier, it's just second time around reading it as an adult real adult <laughs> I just noticed I was like 36 views 36 scenes oh my gosh I just noticed it um do you remember what you what your impression of it was when you first read it or what you thought about it oh first time around mm-hmm. um I just remember reading this thinking um 
like, man, I really don't know anything about Japanese like culture. Like, I don't know. Um, mm. or, or I was thinking that, um, like, this was very, I think it's just very not typical play. Like, I was like, this is, they're just, scenes are short. Um, it's like, move, there's a lot of movement going on between the scenes. And which at that point, like, before that, I was reading, you know, like, Eugene O'Neill, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, it was, like, long scenes, you know, there's like really just like so much long, talking, so much talking. Um, <laughs> and this had like sound and like I mentioned sound and all these design elements that which at first I think I remember thinking I was like really confused because like where's the sound coming from? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, Things like like I wasn't thinking about the what how would a design uh, the designers and um, how would they would implement their work into this play. You know, I wasn't really thinking like that. I was just really thinking first impression wise, like, wait, but where's the sound coming from? You know, like, who is it? Is this a ghost? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Um, I think if I were reading this when I was 18 or 19, I would have had a really hard time visualizing how all the layers fit together because there's so much happening on the stage. And yeah, um, she has these transformations or reveals pretty much in every scene. Um, so I think it, it does feel very um, like sophisticated for an undergraduate reader. And I, I think mm-hmm. it, I'd really like to see a production of it just so I could understand how all of the things fit together. Mm-hmm. Um, and all, like also the costume, you know, that there's yes. Like- uh, how the costumes because obviously it's like coming from japan japanese culture um and i don't know about you but did you get the sense of like kabuki-ness about like kabuki theater mm-hmm. maybe i don't know if it's the sound maybe the silences the um the slowness sometimes i don't know but it made me think of kabuki theater mm-hmm. um okay so, and what about you mentioned sound? What about the sound that happens in so many places? The sound of wooden clappers. What did you make yeah. of that? I was trying to figure out um, the moments, like why it was happening. Me too. It was like, is it a lie? Like, is this okay? That was my first thought too. I was like, okay. is this happening when people lie? But then there were several incident instances where it happened and it didn't seem like it was a lie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, um, I don't know if it lies or right word, but yeah, I, I was thinking that, but also if what they're saying has like another meaning to it, like, mm. it, it, like what we say, there's another meaning behind what we're saying that we're not really saying out loud, <laughs> if that makes sense. That's cool. Um, so, which in a way is kind of a lie, but not really. Um, so like some kind of deception. Deception, or, yeah. Um, um, I and I, I noticed that it happens usually like towards the end of the scene because it's, it's like towards the end of the scene, the way the kind of close, the way the scene closes out is whatever lie or whatever deception they're trying to say and then the yeah. sound comes and then moving on to the next scene, which starts, I feel like starts becoming like a, a Pavlov dog thing where you're like, oh gosh, everyone's a liar <laughs> or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, or you start to sound. just like distrust 
mm-hmm. everything you hear every time there's that sound mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's really interesting yeah um I'm so curious of your thoughts of just the the characters themselves you kind of your first impressions of the characters like their roles in this art world yeah um, and what was dramatic about that or not or well my favorite was Claire the artist mm-hmm. um, I I think I just had a really clear image of who she is and I liked that she was kind of just so bold um and so she was my favorite. I the first scene between um oh no, so the first scene is the monologue and then the second scene is Darius and Satsuko and I this this scene was so cringy to me because of how like how many assumptions Darius makes about her and like mm. how he's like you know like explaining to her about his trips, you know, or whatever. Um, And then, of course, he finds out that she's a professor and he's, like, very embarrassed. But I just – I found it really hard to believe that then she would, like, be attracted to him. Like, after that scene, I just couldn't – I didn't buy it. And so – Oh, you meant – the character you're talking about Setsuko, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, like, mansplaining. The there's so much mansplaining. <laughs> and I – and then so then I – because I just, like, didn't like him and found him very annoying, um, I just – I found it very difficult to believe that, like, his attempt at romancing her would – be successful at any part of this play and so then I was yeah. wondering whether she was like actually into him or um just kind of pretending because she was mm-hmm. interested in the manuscript and so I yeah. couldn't quite figure that out in the play but of course that's one of those things that like in a production there could be so much going on underneath the dialogue that like maybe the actors would convince me that she actually was attracted to him. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm curious about your thoughts about um, the romance. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, I mean, the romance to me was, I, it was, I mean, like, I just, I think, I think I could, like, if there were really good actors, could really pull it off. But I could also sing, like, kind of cringy and, I think, okay, when I say cringy, I'm thinking because of the assertiveness of him, like, going after her, like, and Mm -hmm. I'm like, today, you know, people could really misread that and and kind of take offense of that sometimes because it's like, it's just the, there's this level of aggression that kind of comes with it. But, I mean, it really, I think it's just the way it'll be, the way it's directed. But I think because she's like, no, it. I'm not interested. And he's like, yes, you are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I just feel like, the other, like in 2021, that scene would read so differently. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. However, it read in 2002. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe like, um, I don't know, people who remember <laughs> like 2002 a little bit more clearly than I do. 
um, would also find this cringeworthy, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But I think, I think there's some awareness of that because then you have these other two characters, um, Belle, um, his assistant, and Claire, the mixed that artist, where it, they're almost kind of like there's this game that they're trying to like trick him <laughs> or something. Right. Um, which ha- starts happening. Um, I mean, not that Belle is like actively trying to trick his own boss, um, but there is this like outside of um, Darius that some manipulation is happening without him knowing, yeah. which that is kind of a like, fun thing. We're like, okay, let's see. Will this bring him down? <laughs> You're kind of like yeah. waiting to see what this, the the consequences of this is going to happen to him. Um, Cause he's so successful. <laughs> yeah. Um, the tables yeah. have turned on him. Yeah. Well, and it's but, so interesting how there's those two paintings that look identical and, um, you know, he's like, he tells someone they're both fake, but actually one is real, but they, they look the same to the audience. And there's just always this question of like, what, which I think is the Claire question, the question Claire is asking, which is like, well, what is real to begin with? And what, what does it matter whether something is authentic or not? Mm-hmm. It's all about, you know, value being in the eye of the beholder or value being right. what somebody is willing to pay for it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. There's this, also this beautiful monologue that Dar- Darius tells about his dad going back to Japan and he like bought he was a collector and he like got something and brought it home and years later Darius was like obviously could tell it was a fake but just like didn't tell his father that mm-hmm. um because mm-hmm. like just like I th- and then I, yeah it's kind of asking the same similar question what you're saying is like what is real what, what does it matter you know if maybe if, if it brings joy to that person <laughs> mm-hmm. um like without their not like I don't know is that maybe ignorance is bliss who knows because um, maybe you're paying for the story right mm-hmm. like you're paying for the idea that what you have is is worth is worth something because it's of this story attached to it and so you know does it really matter if that actually happened right yeah I think the scenes between Claire and John Bell are Felt those felt way more interesting to me mm-hmm. than the scenes between Darius and Satsuko. Um, yeah, I think I love anything that I can't. What's the best word of saying this? But like, you know, the that class of like, you know, people who are working up beneath the powerful people trying to like yes. <laughs> have some like intrigue and um secret meetings <laughs> well and the, the yeah. fact that they trick he's so smug Darius is and he's so sure of himself that he can detect a fake mm-hmm. and then they trick him so easily like it's just so yeah. easy for them to fool him mm-hmm. and so that was very satisfying yeah um a question that comes to mind and was I was curious about that I was like did I do we just like Towards the end, did we just jump forward? Like, yeah, I was miss... confused about that too. I think I we like, jumped way forward. Like we, 
because I was anticipating the discovery, Darius being like, oh no, I've been, this was a trick or like this was a lie, that kind of moment where that didn't really happen. And we just right. kind of jumped into like the aftermath of that. Um, yeah, what do you think about that? I don't know. I was like, I, it's like I wanted that um, really badly. <laughs> so am I correct that I, my interpretation was that Elizabeth and Claire went and had drinks and like Claire told Elizabeth mm-hmm. what had happened. Was that your take on it too? I think so. I think that was my take. And then I was like, cause she's also a journalist, Elizabeth. Right. Right. Um, and I was like, Oh, there must be something happened there where Claire told her what really went down. Right. And maybe that was published or like, maybe that was released that report. Um, so that was kind of that was what I was speculating. Yeah. Okay. Happened. Cool. That's what I thought too. And then we and then the next time we see, um, Darius and Setsuko, that this has already been publicized. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, as you said, it's the aftermath. And I agree. I kind of felt like I was cheated out of the satisfaction of like watching the discovery happen on his face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like when he found out. Yeah. He was wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I I wanted, like, I really wanted to see him, like, oh, no, you know, like, react big and just, like. Yeah. So everything. why do you think she didn't write that scene? I honestly don't know. I I want to say, um, I don't know, maybe, like, maybe his reaction to the situation doesn't matter. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no. What are you going to say? Well, I was just going to say, maybe part of what she's doing is... She, so she calls this 36 views, and there's this theme of, like, you can never look at the thing directly. You can only look at, like, people's perceptions of the thing, or we can never experience something in kind of a pure observation we always see it filtered through like what we expect to see or what we want to see so maybe showing that scene would be Hmm. like out of line with what the play is doing but like by showing us all of these scenes about deception and truth and authenticity um she's like getting closer to the moment when he realizes he's been fooled or she's showing us different angles on that, but she can't show us that moment directly because it would like go against mm. what the play is doing. Interesting. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. That's yeah. my theory. Yeah. Or here's another possibility because then, so we're like still kind of building to this climax and rather than that happening when he finds out, it happens between Satsuko and Darius when she's like, oh, you were never interested in me in the f- at all. Like, this is all fraudulent. You're a fraud. Um, mm. And he's trying to convince her that, no, he actually really does care for her, but she doesn't believe him. And so maybe the power of that scene of their falling out would have been diminished if 
we had had like a climactic scene right before that where he finds out he's been fooled. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe the play had to build to that breakup instead of building up to him finding out the finding truth. Out. Yeah. But I I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, I can see why she might make that choice, but I think maybe dramaturgically mm. I would have the preference of seeing him. Mm-hmm discover the truth maybe because i just don't really care that much about this romance (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm kind of wondering now i'm thinking about this more if we did see that scene of him discovering what um of darius discovering that wasn't real this whole time Mm -hmm. if if then i mean would would this be kind of like a very um, Salem with trialy, you know, like <laughs> oh, we're like, oh, he's bad, like pointing fingers, like, oh. and then like audience are having like really kind of forcing the hand up, but it, maybe it's really trying to be more complex than that. Yeah, that it's not about like pointing fingers or like um, right. It's actually about how everyone is doing this all the time. Mm-hmm. Or everyone is being deceived all the time. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. I like that take. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and the thing that I really liked that because I I think one of the things I loved about this was learning about other characters do another character. Um, mm-hmm. where like I think it was Claire where she was talking about um, there was like. A person who had who father just died. This is my and had a, favorite monologue. Yeah, and then she had all these collectible collected items, um, and Darius was like, "I'll give it to you for like a few hundred bucks or something." And then finding out later on that it was being sold for like millions of dollars, like there's a something being gypped that way. Yeah, um, which I was like, "Oh, he is like so." Um, He's a, like a, a con artist in a way. And <laughs> that's his origin story. She's like, mm-hmm. this is how he got started in his business. Yeah. Which, yeah, I love that that we we learned that story from Claire. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah. it comes at the end of the play. I think that's really beautifully done. Yeah. Which was like enough information for me to be like, okay, whatever – Wherever, whatever Darius' situation is right now, he kind of deserved it. He deserved <laughs> like, it. Yeah, he deserved it even more so um, than I thought he did. You know. Um, and then I love that we find out that she's actually the artist that they were waiting for in the beginning. Mm. That was also very satisfying. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, there was all these like little uh, reveals, like um, that was happening at the end where I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, that was so fun. Um, yeah. Well, and that's why I think, like, the description of the play, the synopsis on the back of the book, that it's about an art dealer and an art historian, I just think is is kind of inaccurate. Because mm-hmm. now that I've read the play, I feel like it's really about Claire. Maybe that's mm-hmm. just my favorite one. But, you know, like, in the end, it's her show. And she's, right. the, she's the artist. And... Um, mm-hmm. Well, I think yes, in but like I think what they're 
the description is saying is like in the surface level. Right, right, like right. It's this art historian and this dealer and then things happen. But if you look at it deeply, underneath that is Claire. You're right. Like mm-hmm. what's going on? Um, which Claire's story and the character, what she's doing, the way like outside of the surface level storyline – with the mm-hmm. um, Darius and Satsuko, Claire sort of like put like the way she's like moving the plot as a character, the plot and like manipulating and kind of shifting um, the main surface level storyline. You know what I mean? Like the way she's sort of um, mm-hmm. igniting these moments w- w- uh, without their knowing, like underlying it all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's something really interesting about that is, like, these two storylines and how the main storyline is being manipulated by the secondary and without them knowing or something. Yeah, definitely. I know. I love that. Yeah. So, so it's that, which it, it makes me think of, like, thriller, kind of, there's something, like, film noir about it. I don't know. There's something <laughs> where I'm, like, it's has all this like um i don't know what i'm trying to say yeah well my brain's pooped um um, so any final thoughts um oh there's a question i'd like to ask is like okay so from this play what would you um want to like pull to inspire you to write your next play or Mm. well um, I really love the structure of like somebody is creating a deception or a lie and then the ticking clock of the play is just waiting for that to be uncovered mm. um I and so I was thinking oh I want to use that structure yeah um in a story because it's it's just very satisfying Mm. what about you uh, naming your title after number of scenes, like <laughs> thirty six scenes. Like I, I'm gonna do, you know, playing in eighty seven scenes. <laughs> you know, like. Um, but if you just call your play two acts, two acts. <laughs> no, 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 no. It has to be a scenes. It has to be scenes. Okay. Um. Uh. Yeah, I just like the, like I, I almost. I think based on the one of the scene descriptions was like these thirty six paintings, right? Right, or artwork, mm-hmm. and where I then but there I were actually forty six of them, right? Forty six of them, yeah. Um, which made me really think, like, how maybe like looking at this plate, like each scene as sort of like an artwork, like kind of separating mm. it that way. Um, which that's what I was thinking, like, oh, maybe like how do I write in a way where like each scene. I put much care and love and, you know, like it's like its own artwork, art piece. And then kind oh, of like, I love that. And yeah. then creating a, a story or, or uh, having a main story, but like treating each scene more care. Cause oh, yeah, I'm not saying like, I don't care, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like treating it like an art piece, like each scene as a artwork. Um, I really like that idea. Yeah. So yeah, I really liked this play. Um, 
Everyone check it out. I really want to see a production of it. Mm -hmm. Why aren't people doing this play? Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of like thinking about casting. Like I was like, okay, like I think obviously Satsuko is Asian, but then I'm like, who's Darius? Mm. Like, um, yeah, I was just kind of just like thinking in my head of what the different um, race of the the cast member like what could how would that play up or play down yeah scenes and how it changed the story yeah or just affect the story well i think maybe you should direct a production of this sarah okay i will (laughs) (laughs) all right you heard it here first folks all righty all right let's move on to glistens okay i'm gonna go first because as you know I recently got an arrow press. I know I'm like 10 years late to this, um, but it's amazing. It has totally changed my life in the last two days. It's like Mm -hmm. the cup of coffee I made this morning was so smooth. I've been using a French press for my entire adult life. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I knew people said the arrow press was life changing, but I didn't really believe them. But it is. So I've only used AirPods maybe like a couple times, but I never really like got into it or because I like pour over just It is general. just so delicious. But what is um, AirPress doing to the bean, so you think? There's, I mean, okay, so I know very little about coffee. But mm-hmm. from what I've read, the guy who invented this, um, he wanted to combine being able to brew at a lower temperature with – kind of like a medium fine grind, but he wanted the pressure of um, like an espresso. I mean, it doesn't mm-hmm. come anywhere close to the pressure in an espresso machine, but yeah. he wanted to combine pressure with the idea of a pour over. So he created this kind of vacuum seal pressure system that forces the water through the beans at a higher pressure and you're not steeping the grounds as long as you would in like a French press. So yeah. it's just like lower acidity. Um, I, I, we've exhausted now at this point, the limits of my coffee knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just so delicious. Um, and I think the coffee, you have to grind it pretty fine, right? Yeah. And um, well, it's interesting. So people took this invention and ran with it. So there's like an infinite number of ways you could do an AeroPress. So mm-hmm. some people actually do use like coarse or medium coarse grounds, but so far I've just been using medium fine. Mm. Wow. Love coffee. Love coffee talks. <laughs> My turn. Okay. What's your glisten, Tara? All right. I'll sing it. Girls five <laughs> What are you waiting five? <laughs> What is that? It is a a TV show on Peacock. I know there's so many streamers out there. Um, it's an NBC's. There's streaming service. I hate the name Peacock. It's dumb, so dumb. But um, I we by accident we were just like got like one week of free trial and we're like oh man we didn't want to do this but then we watched like the first couple episodes of the show which is um executive produced by tina fey 
Um, and it's about these like middle-aged women who used to be pop stars in the early aughts. If you could think of like group bands and all the mm-hmm. like a Pussycat mm-hmm. Doll or uh, um, Backstreet Boys, Instinct. You know, if you think Spice about that, girls, this girl. If you think about that time specifically, it's basically those these women was rising up on that time, one hit wonders. Now they're like middle-aged 40s and they're like trying to um they would do like a reunite they reunite and they were like let's try to like sing again oh that sounds good it's really funny it's really funny uh and sarah borales is in it and one of the singers or one of the cast members from hamilton who's like 50 i didn't know that she's like 50 years old she made her got her big break in like in her 40s or something but um she's in it uh and a bunch of really funny people like Bussy Phillips. And yeah, it's really funny. It's really odd. It's really quirky, really cerebral sometimes, like just the way Tina Fey's like her. I mean, it's not Tina Fey's show. She's just executive producer. I think someone else created the show. But um, the humor is just like so out there in a way that's it really catches you by surprise and you're like laughing your butt off just <laughs> by the surprise. Um but yeah, it's really fun. It's really fun. Cool. Uh, yeah. Would so you recommend that people get a Peacock subscription just to watch this show? The one week, yes. <laughs> okay. You, it's only like eight episodes, so yeah, oh, okay. you could, so you, could you could you could get in one week and then just cancel it, unless there's another show you want to watch. But I just did it for one week, and I was like, that was enough for me. Um. All right. Yeah. If they if they keep this up, if they have another I feel like a lot of good comedies are coming from I do think comedies good comedies come from NBC. Hmm. In general. What, what do you think is their secret sauce for good comedy? Honestly, I think it's they have this incubator called SNL <laughs> and <laughs> people that come out of there sometimes starts producing stuff for NBC. So that's just my thing. That's just my theory. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, Secret sauce, SNL. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, that's it, folks. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Beckett's Babies. If you enjoyed what you heard or learned a thing or two about playwriting, be sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast with your friends. And if you'd like to reach out and share with us your thoughts on playwriting and theater or maybe be a guest on the show, uh, be sure to visit our website at www.beckettsbabies.com. That's www.beckettsbabies.com, and you can contact us there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.